My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. The picture that you see on the bulletin cover this morning, and maybe you'll see it right on the screen behind me right now, okay? Um, is that familiar to anyone here besides me? How many of you have seen it before? Raise your, oh, look at this. What a Lutheran group. <laughs> um, a copy of that picture entitled Grace hung in the kitchen of my Uncle Searle's farmhouse, right above the kitchen table, okay, right on the wall. Um, it used to be pretty ubiquitous in the homes of uh, Minnesota farmers back in the day, Lutheran Minnesota farmers in particular, and that is because the Lutheran publishing house, Augsburg Publishing in Minneapolis, bought the rights to that picture and mass-produced it back in 1930. Um, it's actually a photograph taken by Eric Enstrom in his photography studio in Bovey, Minnesota. Anybody know where Bovey is? Okay, we've got one person knows where Bovey is. It's up on the Iron Range, right? Um, and Eric Enstrom had set up his photography studio there in 1907 and kind of became the town's photographer for about half a century. The subject in the photo is a man named Charles Wilden, kind of a, a vagabond peddler who lived in a sod hut just outside of Bovey, who apparently made his living by making and selling boot scrapers for a living. Okay? The photograph became popular for its depiction of what real prayer might look like. Right? Humility, simple gratitude for life's most simple blessings. Huh? A bowl of broth, a loaf of bread, the Word of God. What more do you need? Hmm? During the war years when that was taken in 1917, so the First World War, on into the Depression years that followed, on into the Second World War that followed that, um, the sentiment of simple piety and thankfulness depicted in that picture was kind of a, a touchstone for people like my forebears and their neighbors. Now, a couple of true facts about that photograph. The big book that you see there on the table, supposedly the Bible in all its 30-pound glory, <laughs> uh, was actually a dictionary put there by the uh, photographer as a prop. And then there's the subject, old Mr. Charles Wilden, who according to local legend and stories that I've read about him, I quote from an article that I read about him, centered his life more around drinking and not accomplishing very much than actual religious piety. <laughs> the photographer, Enstrom, paid Mr. Wilden $5 to sign over his rights to any uh, future uh, income off of that photograph, $5 that I'm sure Mr. Wilden was very happy to receive in 1917. And then he went on his way, and there seems to be no... Um, record of whatever became of him after that. Knowing what I know now about that photograph makes me appreciate it all the more. 
from what I had imagined anyway, looking up at it from my cornflakes in my uncle's farmhouse on those summer mornings that I would spend there at his place. Just when you think you've got the perfect picture of what prayer and prayerfulness is supposed to look like, you discover something artificial or fake or staged about it, whether it's counterfeit props or your own counterfeit piety. Uh, but that's what I love about that picture now. Because what I see there now, knowing what I know about it, is a real guy with probably some real problems, with a life almost as messy as my own, who would fake his way through prayer over a dictionary for $5. Be that as it may, I'm willing to bet that Mr. Charles Wilden, living where he did when he did, making his way through life the way he had to, probably knew a whole lot more about prayer than I would otherwise give him credit for. Lord, teach us how to pray. That little snippet from Luke's gospel that I read for you just moments ago would have us consider this morning the subject of prayer, perhaps one of the most mysterious and misunderstood spiritual disciplines of the community of faith, and at the same time, one of its most simple. To the thinking of some folks, we know this, prayer kind of functions as some kind of an exercise in magic, right? It's that mistaken notion that if I just say the right phrases or have the proper technique, that I can somehow persuade God to come across with whatever it is I want at whatever given time. But prayer, we know, is not like rubbing Aladdin's magic lamp. It's not making up a wish list for some Santa Claus in the sky or dropping coins in a vending machine. Prayer at its heart is just simple, intimate communication with the one who loves us above all others. It's as natural as turning around and speaking to a friend, and then more importantly, it's being quiet. It's not so much about what you say, it's about what you hear. Listening for God's response. Being transformed, maybe, by what he has to say to you. Now, I really doubt that the disciples were asking Jesus for tips in proper technique or proper posture when it comes to prayer. These guys were good Jewish boys, right? They had been raised in the synagogue. They certainly knew the proper postures for prayer in their tradition, whether it was hands raised, eyes uplifted in praise, or whether it was their head bowed down in the dust in supplication. No, I think they've had a pretty good idea of the mechanics of their prayer. Their request of Jesus went a whole lot deeper than that. See, they had eyes, they had ears, they were always watching and they were listening, trying to soak up as much as they could from their rabbi, their teacher, Jesus. And what they saw and what they heard from him was he was constantly running off and praying. Huh? He was praying at every important turn. If you read the Gospel of Luke from start to finish, you'll notice how Jesus is constantly talking to God, right? Whether it's at his baptism, trying to figure out what his call is going to be, to when he's 
getting set to heal somebody or feed somebody, attend to somebody, or to try to get away from all that chaos that was his day-to-day -day life and just run off by himself to be in communication, to get some strength from outside of himself, always in prayer. It was an attitude that the disciples were interested in. It was a spiritual posture before God, a connection, something living and vital from which they could have access to that same energy that they saw Jesus having access to that enabled him to live the life he lived and to serve the way he served, see. And so Jesus answers their request with just a few simple little lines, right? All right, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And save us from the time of trial. Now, you're probably more familiar with Matthew's version of that prayer, as it's a little bit longer, and it's the one we use typically in our worship together. Martin Luther, of course, wrote whole sections of his catechisms on this prayer. Right? trying to parse it out, trying to help us to understand maybe what Jesus was on about in each one of the petitions of that prayer. However, for our purposes today, I'm just going to leave it at this. I think the most important word in the whole prayer is the first word, Father. In Hebrew, Abba. It's the familiar term for Dad. Pop, Daddy, the most intimate and familiar. I say it's the most important word because every single thing that follows from that is now an understanding of where the petitioner stands in relationship to the petitioned. Addressing God as loving and beloved parent, Jesus is saying, okay, when you talk to God, please know, here is someone you can trust because here is the one who made you. Here is the one who has your best interest at heart, whose patience and forgiveness you have lived under your whole life so that you can patiently forgive the same way, whose presence is so close all the time that you will never be tempted away in doubt of that love and care. Father, Abba, Daddy. And then Jesus gives them this little parable to drive the point home. He tells them to approach God the same shameless way and the same reckless abandon as pounding away on a neighbor's door in the dead of night asking for some groceries because you didn't prepare enough to receive the guest who is now standing at your door. And just keep hammering away, he says. No matter the hour, no matter how ridiculous it makes you look, shameless persistence seems to be Jesus' lesson when it comes to approaching God. In fact, the word per that we translate persistent in the Greek in that, in that gospel reading actually means shameless. Be shameless. Without shame, without pretense, just pound away. Now, I've never had a neighbor pounding on my door in the dead of night asking for groceries.
but I've had a dog, all right, whose incessant petitions for feeding, for watering, and for whatever he imagines is on the other side of our door, <laughs> most often opportunities to make more room for food or water or to chase birds. Now, this is something I know something about, okay? His name is Jasper. And if Jasper wants something, he barks, not incessantly, just once, very loudly, while staring at the object of his desire, okay? If he's at the front door and he stares at it and he barks once, very loudly, Row! just like that, we know he wants to go outside. If he's hungry, he'll go stand in the kitchen, stare at his bucket of food that's up on the counter and bark once. If he's thirsty, he stares at the sink and barks once. But he does it about every 30 seconds, okay, until somebody answers him. Now, um, the only instance in which he will abandon his efforts this way, or sometimes never even start in, is this. If he knows my wife, Laura, is not home, he may know the word father, not know the word father, but he sure as heck knows the word mom. So if all I say, if he starts barking and I say, shut up, mom's not home, he'll go trot over to the window with his ears down and stare out, and then he'll go over to the couch and lay down, right? Most of the time. And if I say, you hear that? Is that the garage door? Is mom home? Runs over to the garage door, to the door leading into the garage, will press his nose against the door, and will wait like a statue until she comes in, then the requisite running around the legs and jumping, and let her get all settled in from whatever she's been doing, and he'll wait until she is comfortably ensconced on a chair or on the couch, and then the barking starts. Yeah? And no matter how much you tell him to shut up, every 30 seconds, he will just keep doing it. Why? Because with mom, he can be shameless in his persistence because he knows that even though dad might be kind of fond of him, and even Leith might regard him as his dog, nobody loves him like mom loves him, right? Because mom is the one who snuggles with him every night on the couch. Mom is the one who picks ticks off of him after he's been outside all day. Mom is the one that he knows he can get away with this crap and <laughs> continue until... He gets what he wants. Now, he doesn't always get what he wants, right? Sometimes, instead of going outside, he gets a trip to his kennel because he needs a time out to rest because mom, who loves him best, also knows him best, right? I'm not proud of the way this works. I just know it does, and I'm a grateful recipient for the reality of it. But I imagine what's going on in his fuzzy little brain is the sure and certain knowledge that no matter how fond I or Leith or anybody else in our family might be of him, nobody loves him the way mom does. Even little kids, you know, learn this early on, right? How to, shall we say, make known their wants and needs to the ones in whose grace they live. No. The dog doesn't always get what he wants, but in the solidity of that relationship, he knows he's going to be tended to. 
That much he knows. And I have the sneaking suspicion. That's kind of what Jesus was on about when he was teaching his disciples what prayer really looks like. When you know, you know in whose grace you live, you're free to lose all pretension and pious nonsense when it comes to talking to him and asking for what you need. And then listen. Listen for the answer. It might not come in the exact form that you hoped it would, but this much is sure. You are heard. And in the hearing, you just might receive the very best gift God has to give you. The gift of his constancy, the gift of his presence, what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. Always surrounding, always enveloping, never abandoning, never leaving. That's prayer. Amen.